Welcome to St Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Our aim today is to make you thoroughly miserable. <laughs> and we've made a good start, I think you'd agree. Uh, we're focusing on uh, initially the story of Absalom, the third son of King David, the most handsome man in the kingdom. We're talking about a thousand years before Christ now. He rebelled against his father. He murdered his elder brother uh, Amnon for assaulting his sister uh, Tamar. Uh, that took him two years to plot. And then he spent four years preparing to attack his father David and take the kingdom, which came to a head in the battle at Ephraim's Wood. His army was routed. And then you may recall the famous scene as Absalom's head is caught in the boughs of an oak tree as the mule he was riding ran beneath it. Uh, David's commander, Joab, killed him and came back and told David, wasn't able to say, I killed your son because that might not have gone well. Uh, so he said, uh, would that all the king's enemies were like that man, which was a circumlocution, a, a euphemism, I guess. And then we have possibly the single most moving moment in the whole Bible where David says, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son my son, the most vivid description of grief you could possibly wish to read, made more poignant in two ways. First of all, that the irony that this was a son who had rebelled against his father and Joab assumed that David would be happy about the fact that his, the rebel had died, but of course David was quite the opposite. And, and so much as we, many of us know, uh, so much of grief is, is regret that things can't now be undone that were done wrongly some years before. But of course for Christians those words have an extra poignancy because the son of David, Jesus, did die instead of others. So that phrase, would that I had died instead of you, has an extra dimension in the New Testament. So we're going to look at various forms of grief, mostly uh, focusing on the early 17th century uh, and various kinds of lament. And we're going to start, as, a, as is our tradition at Great Sacred Music, with a hymn that we all sing together. This is by Phineas Fletcher, the 17th century English poet who describes three ways water brings us close to God. One is through drowning our faults and fears. Another is by our tears, through which we lament and cry out to God. A third is by washing one another's feet in obedience to Christ's command. If you haven't got a handout, there should be some uh, in the middle of the centre aisle that you can pick up. We remain seated. The voices stand and lead us as we sing Drop, Drop, Slow Tears.
Now we're going to focus for a few moments on the work of Thomas Tompkins, born in Pembrokeshire in 1572, moved to Gloucester by 1594, and became organist at Worcester Cathedral, where he made an interesting career move of marrying his predecessor's widow. There's a tip for you all. He composed most of the music uh, for the coronation of Charles I in 1625, so you can tell he made it big time in the course of the next 20 or 30 years. The, uh, we're going to hear initially a piece from the Psalms, uh, from Psalms 20 and uh, Psalm 100, but then we're going to hear, you won't be surprised to, to, to know, when David heard, referring to that same verse I read out to you and we heard in a different version by William Billings at the very beginning. Tompkins' version was probably composed as a lament for Henry, the young Prince of Wales, who died in 1612. Just imagine if, if Henry had become king. There had been no Charles I. There had been no English Civil War. The rest isn't history, as it were. Um, so much could have been so different. Anyhow, Thomas Tompkins wrote its thought when David heard um, as a lament for uh, young, young Prince Henry, and it was later published by the composer in a set of madrigals, though it was still sung in religious services. Uh, you'll notice that the piece is composed in two sections, and its power lies in its unexpected shift from third-person description to a first-person outpouring of grief, which I'm sure you'll find suddenly and shockingly intimate. Let's enjoy these two pieces by Tompkins now.
Cool. Um, uh, it's pretty emotional, and we're going to carry on in that vein. A uh, bit more of Tompkins. When I observe, this is a lament for unrequited love, to open her deaf ears or close mine eyes. The two choices. It was dedicated, apparently, to Thomas Warwick, thought to be the organist of Hereford Cathedral. And then we're going to slip uh, an extra madrigal in that isn't on the sheets uh, by uh, Tompkins' contemporary Orlando Gibbons, composed in 1612 when madrigals were fast going out of fashion and called the Silver Swan. It's actually his most famous madrigal. Uh, and again, as appropriate for today, desperately sad. Uh, it tells the legend of a swan who is largely silent in life and sings beautifully only just before its death, hence the phrase swan song.
well, it's time for us all to sing again now. Not quite as miserable, but still solemn, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Isaac Watts' setting of Psalm 90, O God, our help in ages past. A lament for the human condition, setting the shortness of life and the limitations of human beings against the timeless greatness of God. It's all really in those first two lines, our help and our hope our help in the past and our hope for the future. It actually was originally uh, entitled uh, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past uh, when Isaac Watts originally wrote the hymn. It was John Wesley who in compiling a hymnal decided that it would be better as O God and I think it would be fair to say that John Wesley was right and we're all in his debt. So we remain seated, the voices stand and lead us as we sing four verses of O God, Our Help in Ages Past. Now we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. If you've enjoyed yourself, I know it's a strange thing to say with such uh, miserable music, but it has been fabulous miserable music, uh, then there's an opportunity to make a donation as you uh, leave. If you're um, in the building, you can uh, give in cash, what a wonderful thing, or tap... uh, your card on the card reader as you depart. Whether you're in the building or online, you can text and you can go on the website. So all sorts of ways do make the most of all four. There's so much joy to be had 
in donating to St. Martin's. Um, now, uh, do take note of upcoming uh, choral classics, and, uh, which is on Sundays and next great sacred music. We've got Holy, Holy, Holy for Trinity Sunday on Sunday afternoon, and then we, our next great sacred music on Thursday lunchtime is Northern Lights with some Scandinavian music. And if you think uh, the one thing I must do this weekend is hear more of the voices and you like sad music, then this is the weekend for you because on Saturday uh, we've got both Bob Chilcott and Mozart's Requiems Saturday night. Do pop down to the box office if you're in the building or go on the website if you're online and um, book without delay. Now we're going to finish with something a little bit different. Psalm 137 begins by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. It's a, a curious psalm for a number of reasons. First of all, because it's both in the past tense, we sat down and, and wept, um, but then it moves uh, to the present tense, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So was it written during the exile in Babylon, five, six hundred years before Christ, or was it written afterwards, looking back? There's an ambiguity there, uh, which I guess is, will always remain. Um, but it's also uh, a, a tricky psalm because it ends notoriously with bashing the baby's heads against the rocks, which is a part that, funny enough, not many composers have found a way to set to music, whether sad or not, so we'll just draw a line over that. Um, but the really, the really significant thing about Psalm 137 is it marks this transformation in the history of Israel as told in the Old Testament from a time when they looked to God to be the God of four, the God to fix things for them, the God who would give them the land and the king and the temple, which of course did take place in the promised land, uh, to a God of with who turned out to be with them even in their worst circumstance of being in exile. And this, uh, this Psalm 137 is one of those parts of the Old Testament that I think is most significant for understanding the nature of God and the nature of what the New Testament is telling us in the word Emmanuel, God is with us as a, as a name of, of Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a profound meditation uh, on the move from the idea that, that we're the center of the universe and it's God's job to make our life better to the fact that God's the center of the universe and we have the privilege of being with God in life and in discipleship. So, something a little bit different, not quite so miserable, uh, and uh, a good way to finish our meditation on lament and grief. Thanks for joining us.